Infections are infectious Like a dog scratched ear But pleasure is high Welcome to the Box Tunnel Survivors Group, a place for those affected by the issues raised in the TV show, Being Human. It was brave of you to listen to this podcast, and I respect that, but the wheels have been set in motion now, and there's nothing you can do. This is a monster episode as I'm reunited with Sue to go through the series one finale, Bad Moon Rising. I think we might as well just crack on. It's time to welcome back for her glorious return, Sue Hemming. How are you doing? Woo! I am all right. <laughs> yeah. Philip, we had a conversation before we started. We won't go over it for the podcast though. Nobody needs to hear that, no. No one needs to know about that. So... Like you, at the start of the year, we were both single Pringles. Yeah. I got engaged in March. You've been away on holiday, so congratulations for in order. You're engaged. Yeah, how exciting is that? Just loads of blogger weddings going on. We've become normies. Oh, no. Totally. I remember when other when cast members got engaged and married behind the scenes and the bloggers were fuming about it. When you say bloggers, so... do you mean you? No, I was never fume. I always felt that I was quite sensible about this stuff. <laughs> I'm sure other people would disagree, though. <laughs> well, that brings me to, um, on Facebook Memories, just before we started recording, my, I looked at my Facebook Memories, and six years ago, I've got a status here. People yeah. of the world, this might be a bit grand. My, oh. My partner in geeky stupidity, the Sasha to my Adam... The Leo to my Hal, Sue, Ham- Sue Hemming, is going on to be on Radio 1 today after 4pm, where, where she'll be talking about being human and singing, which are both yeah. her, two of her favourite things. Why were you on Radio 1 talking about being human? Can you not remember? Do you remember was... Greg James's Going Home song? So it was like, my name is Sue and I'm going home. Yes, okay, yeah. And then they rang me and were like, oh, we're doing this. What I entered. It's not like they just rang me because I was a celebrity or something. I entered a competition, well, like a thing. And then they rang me and said, oh, um, we're looking for people who have been on TV shows. So have you been on one? And I was like, yes, actually, I was an extra on Being Human. And then it turned out that Greg James and the production crew were like huge fans of Being Human and were really excited about my story. Um, and then also about all the stuff that we had done as bloggers behind the scenes. And I spoke to them for ages. Um, and then I thought, oh, they're going to play, you know, because there's one person on, when they used to do that, they had one person that was like the main person they spoke to and they would get more information from them after. <laughs> so I thought, being the big headed twat that I was, <laughs> that was going to be me. So I was like, everyone, I'm going to be on Radio 1. This is going to be amazing. And then... I was literally one of the in the middle people that was just like, my name is Sue and I'm going home <laughs> and I was on being human and that was it. Um, but it was still good. Yeah. See, you did kind of build it up as I'm going on Radio 1 to talk about being human. Yeah, I definitely did. But I thought I was. I mean, literally, I spoke to the producer of the show for like, it's got to have been about an hour and a half, I reckon. No. 
Yeah, it was ages. And then they made me record me singing the ridiculous song. And I had to do that about 20 times so that they could get the version that they wanted. And then literally was on the radio for two seconds. <laughs> like, it was a bit of an anticlimax, but it is Radio 1. It so is Radio 1. There was also another moment. One of our blogger friends worked for a magazine or worked in the magazine industry, didn't she? And I'm sure yeah. I remember you being in an article again because uh, for, for being, well, stalking being human filming. Yeah, I can't. I'm, I can't actually remember what magazine it was. It was one of those rags that have got like rags. quizzes in for women who were who live at home and and don't go to work or something, and they or they are at work and it's like pick me up or something like that. It was oh, one of those. Take, pick me up, take me out, throw me out. Yeah, piss throw me, me under. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that sort of stuff. It was one of the. I think it was pick me up, and then it was our our friend and fellow blogger had said that her colleague was interested in doing a article on the bloggers and us going to see filming and would I speak to them about it and do an interview? And I said, yeah. Um, that one wasn't as much of a uh, disappointment as the Radio 1 one because I spoke to her on the phone for probably 20, 25 minutes. It's like quite a short thing. But the article was hilarious. It had the most puns I've ever heard in my life and I did not, I never said a single pun. <laughs> in the interview but it was stuff like meeting Damien Maloney made my blood boil to the <laughs> surface like I could be bitten by a vampire at any time and I was like I definitely didn't say that but no. sure no I remember I I won a competition for a concert like years years and years ago yeah and it was for the local paper and I had to pose <laughs> pose with a picture before the gig and say oh I, I was I was a page three boy uh -oh. <laughs> for for the gig and afterwards the next day or the monday after they the gig they phoned me for a quote and i was like yeah. oh no the gig's happened now i'm not interested in the quote i've, I've got the free ticket and when it when it appeared there's a special supplement it was Coldplay at exeter castle and there's that they did a whole eight 12 page supplement in the middle that's how much happens in exeter and, <laughs> and there was there's a picture of me and competition winner and they just put two or three paragraphs of things I never said because I never spoke to them. Right, okay. It's almost like the media lies. I mean, it's crazy to think that that's a possibility. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I'm trying to think. I had another thing in my head that we did. Oh, we went to the set, didn't we, together? We did. Of Being Human as well. So that was another thing back in the day when we were like massive fangirls. I'm going to call you a fangirl as well because why not? Thanks. Um... And that was amazing, wasn't it? And I was thinking today, because, um, so for context, there's a microphone that's doing the rounds for this podcast, and every time somebody's on it, they get sent this microphone. And uh, have people you... Sh people uh, should sign it. <laughs> well, have you had it back yet? No, no, no. So people have started leaving little trinkets. You're, you're winding me up. No, so you don't know about this at all. So literally in the box, there's people have started leaving artwork... Someone's had a patch made that says podcast is such a bourgeois concept. <laughs> I reckon um, that's, oh, it'd be Hannah or Alice, that one. Yeah. I think, was it Hannah that talked about it in the park? I think it was Hannah. Yeah. But Alison's def Alice is definitely going to have drawn something because the drawings in here are, in ma are they're amazing. But that's what it reminded me of. 
was being on the set because we got loads of little trinkets and stuff from when we went there um and i was thinking i'm going to add a trinket to the box so the next person who gets it will get an additional little something to look at do you, do you know what you could leave in the box what? the the coast view road sign i don't think it'd fit <laughs> also it's proudly displayed in my uh, front lounge yeah, see, I, I touched on this a bit in, in the episode with Marcus Whitney that we, we um, went to Honolulu Heights. So what I don't think I mentioned is that you got the Coast View Road sign. Yes. And you just walked... Coast View Road sign. Just walked away. Yeah, what else did you get? Uh, I got the... What were they called? They were like the placemats that were in the final episode. Oh, yeah. I remember being offered them and I was just like, what are they? <laughs> you were like, nah, I'm good. And then they had a prime place in the, the, that episode. I know, yeah, because we hadn't seen the final episode then, had we? They no. were filming. We were at filming that, at that point in yeah. uh, Barry. That was. Um, and then what else did I get? Oh, I got some blood vials from Tom's vest when he was fighting the vampires. I've got some of those, but I think they've mysteriously disappeared. I mean, I'm. I think Mal's probably thrown them away because they've I got agree. beetroot juice in them <laughs> and. I'm I'm amazed that I've still got them to be honest because they must be disgusting inside by now. And you've got a rubbery steak. Yes, I have. Yeah, and you've got the hard version. <laughs> <laughs> Why? Thank you. You are most welcome. And I got those little caricatures out of the kitchen in Honolulu Heights as well. Yeah, I got a couple of those. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, did, so yeah, because there was four. So did you get the other two? I got the other two. Yeah. Oh, that's so cute. We've got like a little matching set. They're still pride of place in my living room. Where are, where are my... Oh, no, they're right next to me. I, I mean, that was terrible. They're on, <laughs> we've got like a shelf of all different caricatures, like gaming stuff, because my other half loves gaming. And then mixed in with that is a couple of being human props. Yeah. Yeah, so, I, yeah. I've, got, I've got... Oh, I mentioned it to Marcus. I've got a 40 minute to full moon sign. But mm. I, I haven't seen that in years. Again, I think Mel's, Mel's ditched it. Oh, yeah. I remember you getting that because I was quite jealous that you'd got that. And then I asked if I could have the street sign and they were like, yeah, all right. And I was like, what? I had to literally get on the train with a 40 minute to full moon sign. <laughs> oh, God. I bet people were like, what the fuck is that? But I think your fandom probably went even more extreme than mine because what we didn't touch on last time you were on your tattoos oh yeah because i forget about it you know because they're just there all the time well was were they one of the early tattoos you got um not not really i feel like i've i've been getting no i've been getting tattoos since i was like 16 um so they were like in the middle i've got lots now so describe them and say where they are so on my calf of my right leg, I've got, well, it's not on my calf, it's half. It's a half leg sleeve. So the front is the original house in Bristol with the original cast as shibbies. Do you know what shibbies are? Yes. I'm probably saying it wrong. Yeah. They're probably chibis or something, but whatever they are, they're these little characters. And I actually commissioned a woman in Australia to draw them for me because I found some on, I think it was probably on Tumblr. Remember Tumblr? I remember Tumblr. Well, as yeah, I haven't been on that for a long time. But I found her drawings and I thought they were really good. So I commissioned her to draw them. So that's what's on the front. So it's the inside of the original house with the original cast. And then on the back, I've got Barry Island. 
<laughs> with the bandstand with all of the new cast. So it's got Hal, Tom and Alex as, again, the shibbies or chibbies or however you say them. Um, so that's my half leg sleeve. And then I've also got at the top of my, well, you know, like on the inside of your top half of your arm. Yeah. I've got Hal's We Can Raid the Dressing Up Box quote. And then I've wrapped that up in a tulip because obviously Hal loves them. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I'd totally forgotten about your tattoo on your arm. And obviously, this is the last one I mentioned about filming because we could we could go on all day about filming. <laughs> but when when you showed it to Damien and Michael Soccer, they yeah. basically read it back out to you as they did in the show. Oh my god, I I forgot about that. Was that when we were at um, the hotel? Yeah, no, I think it was like it was in somewhere in Barry. Yeah, in ba- I don't remember. Yeah, yeah. Do you, do you, we'd had the photo. We'd had photos with them, and they you, you showed them the tattoo, and literally, Damien read it out exactly how he performed it. I probably don't remember because I just melted into a puddle on the floor. <laughs> yeah. To be honest, like that sounds brilliant because we were there all day for that. Yeah. And I did go to the shop with um, Michael Soccer that day. So maybe that was when I was chatting to him. Might have been. But, um, oh, they were great times, weren't they? They were good times. Do, do you wish it was 2012 again? Nah, I, I, I was way fatter than I am now. And it was <laughs> it was difficult to walk. So I, I kind of like the movement that I've got now. <laughs> and also, I was, I was hoping you would say yes. And I'd say, but what about your poor fiancé? Oh, bless him. No. He was nowhere to be seen back then. I think didn't meet him until well, seven years ago we met. So yeah, I mean I like having him around. <laughs> I also enjoyed having a good time at filming though. So it's like balance. Maybe you could come with us. I mean we might even have a being human themed wedding. <laughs> <laughs> oh, That's a joke. <laughs> speaking of which, uh, my my partner has given Dom the permission to turn up at the party. Right, as, as a stormtrooper. As a stormtrooper. Brilliant. I'm going to let him know. He's going to be well excited. Any excuse to wear that costume, he'll be right into it. How we're going to get it all the way down to Exeter, though, is another thing. Well, he can get in a spaceship. <laughs> Do they have, is, that a, is that a Star Wars thing? Yeah. Oh. Uh, a big, you'd... fly, spacey, steely thing, yeah. Yeah, you know about as much as I do, don't you, about Star Wars? Yeah. I can tell from that response. <laughs> I haven't watched it since I was about 10. Oh, I, d- I don't like it. No. Luckily, that wasn't a deal breaker for, for him. It's <laughs> <laughs> um, so, all right. Before we crack on with the far- last episode, I've got one more question to ask you. Yeah. If you died today. <laughs> <laughs> this is going to take a turn. Bloody hell, yeah. yeah. What do you think your unfinished business would be? Getting married, probably. Uh... Yeah, I feel like I've waited. I've waited. A long time for this. But, right, here's the, the problem with that is, if you died today, your future husband would effectively be having a wedding service with a ghost. He wouldn't, he wouldn't be able to see you, the guests wouldn't be able to see you, so you'd have to kill him <laughs> and all your guests, future guests, for it, for, it, for it to stand as a wedding. I mean, that would be pretty cool, though. A ghost wedding. A ghost and wedding. it would be cheaper because you wouldn't have to pay for the venue because you could just 
no one would be able to see you. Oh, mate. I I looked into a quote for furniture for our party and the wedding. Yeah. And it was 550 quid. <laughs> you need to get a venue that, like, provides it, though. A bit late for that. Oh, have you already got the venue all booked? Yeah. When is it? Next year? Uh, 2024. Oh, okay, nice. When's that yours? might be the same as mine. No, no, right. May 3rd and, <laughs> May, May 3rd and May 4th, 2024, you are not getting married. <laughs> I liked your immediate reaction. No, no. <laughs> uh, no, it would be like September time. Oh, well, that's fine. Yeah, because it's going to be outside. It's going to be a festival. Ours is going to be outside, yeah. Is it? Yeah. Well, that makes makes sense for you, I was going to be outside and... I don't know what that means, but I'll take it as a compliment. Well, you like going for walks, don't you? At like six o'clock in the morning. That's all (laughs) I remember, really, is... Uh, And me coming back with bananas. This is is the thing. Yeah. (laughs) Everyone else is hungover in bed and you get up earlier than six sometimes, maybe even five, and you come back with bananas and croissants. Brilliant. (laughs) Is that what you're going to do on the wedding day? (laughs) Yeah, just for myself, for no one else. (laughs) Yeah. Um... Yeah, we're, we're kind of marrying at a, a place on Dartmoor, and there's a, oh. pot, what's the word, Poto, Potoga? I think that's the right word. It's a bandstand. Nice. And we're Just gonna, call it a bandstand. It's, it's a way band more stand. bloggery. It's, yeah. a band, it's a bandstand by the lake. Yeah, there you go. It's a bandstand by the lake, and the party the next day is going to be at the barn on the same at the same venue. Mm. Well, that sounds exciting. I'm very excited. Yeah. Right. Let's crack on with what we're here for. What in? Uh, the final episode. <laughs> what, what was that? What in? What in? What in, Danny Dyer? Uh, the, the final episode of series one, which aired on the 1st of March 2009. Okay. Are we ready? Yeah. What in? What in? So it starts with Annie doing the narration for the beginning. It was nothing really, just one small deed in the darkness, but fate is always playing a long game. And he may have carped it last week, but thanks to the wonder of a flashback, Seth is arisen again. Stupidity rules once more. I just wrote, yay, Seth. I do love Seth now. What do you mean now? What do you mean you didn't? Well, he's just a ridiculous character, isn't he? And you can't like him because of mostly this episode, really. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he's not in it much, but he, he, yeah, I think this is probably the worst side of Seth we see, isn't it? Yeah, this scene's horrible. So we're in a cafe, and Seth is with two of his fellow knuckle-headed vamp friends. A forlorn-looking George approaches them, but is surrounded by the unholy trinity. Um, yeah, their insults are lacking in imagination, as you expect from Seth, from Doggy, Good Boy, Good Dog, Digby, but they start piling in on George. Mm. Poor George, it's so sad. I feel like Russell Tobis, or as we like to call him, Russ Tovs, uh, acting though. Hashtag Russ Tovs. Hashtag. 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 Hashtag, yeah. Yeah. Hashtag Russ Tov. Yeah, he just makes you feel really like sad for him. Watching it is like, I feel like when you watch documentaries and you see a really upsetting scene and people get really upset about it. This is that level with the scene with George. It's like a wildlife documentary. The vultures circling in, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's just horrible. I'm not going to go into it much at this stage because this is something that becomes more of an issue in series four. 
But they're smacking the shit out of him. They're, yep. They're kicking him. He's full of blood. Blood is flying. Yep. There's not really a sign that werewolf blood is toxic to vampires. No, definitely not. And I mean, I think this is something that we used to talk about all the time with we the bloggers, did. isn't it? We were obsessed. Massive. Yeah, we were really obsessed with it. It's a massive plot hole from this season moving into season four that you just it's it's just it's just a complete contrast yeah from oh i'm not going to bite you i'm not going to attack you because your blood is venomous to me and then there's this yeah and even lauren recalled earlier in this series didn't she because she when she found out he was a werewolf she was a bit like no i'm not going there yeah, which would have been fine, and, and they they always have like that like disgust element, but it's more that because they don't like werewolves in these early seasons, isn't it? Yeah. Like they don't like the smell of them, and the t- in the center is weird. Whereas moving forward, it's more because oh my god, yeah, your blood could kill me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, your blood. Oh my god, could kill me. Don't like kill me or whatever. <laughs> Uh, Mitchell approaches from a dark alley Uh, we won't ask what he's just been doing down there he tells them to back off and he inquires by how many people have seen them in the cafe this leads to Seth's last great line we've got business cards we're not even a real (laughs) business (laughs) I I do love Seth but yeah after this you just can't like him anymore can you oh you can he's just he's just He's just gone down the wrong path. Well, yeah. Sure, Uh, Mikey, you live in that world of (laughs) denial. Yeah. The whole vampire mass murder path, but you know. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, They skulk away, and George, whose face is covered in blood, is in distress. They were going to kill me, and Mitchell, almost with a sense of detachment, just says, yeah. And he Mm. hands him George's glasses back. Um... Yeah, Mitchell tells George basically of the existence of vampires and that he should leave where he is. And George's big line, and then what? Yeah, and I, when you watch the rest of the episode, I love this episode, how it it repeats dialogue from throughout the episode in different scenes, and it just hits different. So George repeats that later, doesn't he, yeah. at the end of the episode? And it just makes it, it flashes you back to that really traumatic scene. And it's so good. When he says it later, it's still desperate and it's still sad, but there's a different element to it, I guess, isn't there? Yeah. So Annie concludes, They were just two souls, united by fear and solitude, lost in the dark. Fate pushed them together, and now they were going to find out why. And again, I think this is such a perfect scene for everything that comes in this episode. Yeah. Anna's speeches, I think that they, they always do that at the start of these episodes, though, don't they? The big, hard-hitting episodes, there's always a massive speech from someone. Yeah. And Annie just does it well. In this episode is the one where I've written down, all the way through, just quotes yeah. of what was said. Because the quotes are so epic in this episode. The, the quotes are epic, and they're also, like you say, they reference, within the same episode, they're referencing themselves. Yeah. Okay, so cut to the present day and Mitchell is being rushed through hospital corridors after the doorstep attack from Herrick. Uh, Later, Nina approaches George, questioning him on what's happening to Mitchell and it all goes to the heart of George's big secret, or one of the secrets anyway. And Nina says she can't do it anymore. 
but George fights back the tears. She doesn't want to be in a relationship, but George fights back the tears as she walks away. So this is a sign, again, something that Eric refers to later. It's not just affecting them as a couple. It's affecting her work. It's affecting the people around her in her work. Mm -hmm. And this is, again, what Herrick refers to later. By Mitchell's bedside, Mitchell is healing strangely, strangely fast, and the doctors are unsurprisingly puzzled by his lack of a heartbeat. George says, we need to get him out of here. He's raising too many questions. He's too impossible. Um, he also queries why Annie didn't go into the door, or the portal, as he calls it. But I don't know. I wouldn't just want to pop out to the shop out of the door if someone had just been attacked. Yeah, I mean, they made a big deal about the door appearing, though, didn't they? Because Annie's been trying to find the door throughout the season, and then it's there. Um, but, I mean, that penultimate episode is epic. It's so good. Which and then the, the door appearing, and, and she's like, I can't go, because Mitchell gets stabbed, and it's like, ah. Oh. Um, but, why? yeah, why would she leave when... Her, one of her best friends and the reason that she's managed to make it to where she is is has been like really badly attacked I mean we all thought he could have potentially died in that episode and also I guess because it's new Annie doesn't necessarily know that the door's not going to be there when she gets back yeah and so, yeah that that's that's she, she does look for it when she gets back doesn't she yeah yeah they agree on shifts and she ends up transporting for the first time ever she's done something like that moves so far back into the house and obviously she says oh, it looks like I've missed my flight so the door's gone yeah and then we that's the first time we get to see really super powerful Annie and what she could be capable of she's zoomed all the way back to the house yeah so she hears some haunting voices and in that moment we snap back to George who is woken up by a drum roll please Mark the... Saki Mark what was what was that noise it was a drum roll hang on I've got a box is that better? Uh, no, I prefer the other one. Do the other one. All right. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like someone reversing in slow, in slow motion. I mean, you always do this when I make these noises, <laughs> but you kept my jingle at the end of it. <laughs> I did. <laughs> I did. <laughs> and now that's going to be the new jingle at the end. <laughs> yes. <laughs> 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 so Mark the sarcastic vicar he's obviously been called in to Mitchell's side because obviously to the people in the hospital it looks like Mitchell is about to die and then they I go I absolutely a... love Saki Mark yeah they go through a big deep conversation about what religion means to them and <laughs> <laughs> I love Saki Mark's contemplate about what George asks fiery oblivion awaits all atheists he replies yeah it's then when he says things like, um, do you never get concerned that you might get judged for this? And he's like, yeah, sometimes I do, but then I just forgive myself or whatever. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so funny. He's great. And again, I, what I love about a show like Being Human is even the small characters sometimes get two or three scenes. Their lines are so good, aren't they? They're not, yeah. they're not, they're not just there. I mean, partly there to move the story along, but they're not. Their dialogue and their script doesn't suggest that. It's it it gives them depth. Yeah, and I think it, like even though his scenes were so short, I absolutely loved Saki Mark to the point that I think 
he would have been a great addition to the team. Like, he could just preach at the vampires and they would stay away. Brilliant. Yeah, or... Yeah, I know he appears later in series two, but say say he had more of a role when even when George was having more of his downtime or, or insecure times, he could have gone to Saki Mark and sought some answers or even Mitchell at some stage or mm-hmm. he would have been a great addition. Yeah, he would have been so good. I absolutely loved him. Although he did sort of have the wind knocked out of his sails after this scene, didn't he? <laughs> yeah. When George goes to see him later, he's not a sake. No, that's true. Uh, Mitchell st- starts uh, stirring and grabs George and says, they're coming, they're in the hospital. And we learn that some vamps are stalking the hospital hallways. Of course, Saki Mark offers to help. <laughs> <laughs> and George... Much to his dismay, says yes. Yeah, he's like, oh God, I hope you were going to say no then. So they go out into the corridor and the two gormless... What I love about this being human as well is like the, the extra... The vampires that are extras just look quite gormless. Yeah, also, why is it, why would they have sent two random like henchmen vampires to the hospital? Rather than... Well... Surely they would have sent someone more senior, like Herrick. Herrick yeah. should have, would have gone himself, because, I mean, he's in the hospital half the time anyway. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> I don't know how he has so many, so much time to do stuff. He's in the police station most of the time, in the hospital, and in the funeral parlour. Yeah, he's always hanging around the hospital getting a hot chocolate. Yeah. Uh, George says to Mark, say something religious. And I love the, Christ. Christ. <laughs> no, from the Bible. And George holds out his cross of Saint David. It's a cross of David. Yeah. So he preaches. When I was a child, I spake as a child, understood as a child, I fought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. Yeah, and that's the only part of the Bible I know. Um, is it because of being human? Yeah. <laughs> 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 did, did, did you not? Did you not like? Have RE at school. Yeah, but I didn't listen. Oh, no one listened. Yeah. I remember... Hang on, now I'm trying to remember anything from RE at school. <laughs> See? Ah. When you think about it, it's difficult, isn't I, it? I've got something. Okay. When I was a child, I spake as a child. <laughs> See? Yeah. I learnt that at school. Definitely not from being human. <laughs> uh, it's an education. Yeah. Uh, it does the trick. They slowly retreat. But to be fair, I think if someone just ranted religious stuff at me, I'd retreat too. Yeah, same. I only learned recently, uh, my stepson is 12 and he's mm-hmm. just got he's just started going to high school. They don't do any religious songs in assembly. Um. So my daughter went to a Church of England school for a primary school. Yeah. Only because I lived in the middle of nowhere and it was the only school around. Um, but they did sing religious songs there because it was a religious school. But I think you have to go to like a specific... Like if you went to a normal primary school, they wouldn't. But because this was a Church of England one. Uh, that might be it because I, went, I think I, I was Church of England as well. So that's yeah. probably it. And I, me. I, mine was as well. Uh, yeah. I don't know. I just... I couldn't stand them. The only... The only song i liked in assembly was if i had a hammer (laughs) 
that's got to be an extra thing. I've never heard of that in my life. You, hang, I'm not from Devon. Come Where are you now. from originally? I'm, I'm from Dorset. I oh. mean, that's not far away. <laughs> I was going to say, that's pretty much the same place, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Dorset. Um, so, go on then, sing this song. It goes. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to deliver it in the way of Saki Mark. <laughs> yes, please. If I had a hammer, I'd hammer in the morning. I'd hammer in the evening. Oh, <laughs> over this land. <laughs> That's all I remember of it, actually. Oh, that should be your new jingle. <laughs> <laughs> oh. No, it's not like the Backstreet Boys on New That's Kids That's what you made it sound like. Look, don't blame me for your singing. <laughs> I can't believe you don't know if I had a hammer. Well, I'm, I'm going to no. send you a link later, honestly. I mean, I also knew somebody who lived up north, and they said at school they used to sing a, con- a song called "You Can't Shove Your Granny." You can't shove your granny off a bus. <laughs> yeah, I, I assume that's not a religious song. No, but that's what they used to sing in assembly. So I think there's like regional songs. So no. northern, they're talking about killing their grandmas, and then down south, clearly you, you're talking about killing people with hammers. No, we're talking about hammering over the land. Mm. Why would you, why would you use a hammer though? Um, <laughs> because I don't know. Oh dear. Anyway. Anyway. <laughs> the next day, uh, George <laughs> George is guiding Josie to Mitchell's bed. Uh, Josie basically offers herself up as organ donation. Yeah. That's sweet. I love that. I think it's a really sweet scene. She's supposed to go for give blood. Well, nobody would want her blood apart from Mitchell, to be fair. she's Hasn't she got cancer? Lung cancer? <laughs> I'm cancer? trying to use my memory. Uh, from... she... I don't think they specify. Oh, I thought they did. All right, maybe I've just imagined that then. Let's 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 name all the cancers. <laughs> this this has taken an odd turn. This there's been a lot of odd twists and turns of this one. <laughs> okay, right. She's basically offering herself as uh, up in as a premise for her uh, Mitchell stopping Herrick. They hug on the bed and they start reminiscing about the first time they met. Aww. Again. Right, let's go through plot holes. Okay. It's not the first time... I was thinking about this when I watched this episode. Is the Josie we meet, because it's never 100% confirmed in series two, the younger Josie, a different Josie to this one? No, that's that's Josie. Oh, that's what I think, and that's how it all leads. But because there is a difference in the in the story of how they met here and the reality of what we see in series two, but all she says is that she she see, she saw him and she thought he was hot, basic in like other words. Well, but, you know, well you could get away with it because she said she was so nervous, and I kind of understand that because Mitchell kind of held a hostage. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, he barged into her apartment. He didn't like immediately. It wasn't in like the first few seconds that he held her hostage, in fairness. It did take him like 30 seconds to a minute to tie her up. Yeah. 
so that's enough time to and he's, and pre I, over Mitchell. <laughs> <laughs> and I think she says he was smoking a cigarette or she was smoking a cigarette. She was he says that she was smoking a yeah. cigarette. Was she smoking? Well, I, no. Well, well, we'll get to it. Hey, we'll get to it. Hey, spoiler alert. And then I'll be like, dear Toby Whithouse. Oh, I wonder if Lord Toby listens to this. I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he would love it. I probably think, what the fuck? You're desecrating my work. <laughs> <laughs> We're just loving it. Okay, so in the hospital canteen, George approaches Cara for a drink and she responds with, <laughs> Hey, you. Want to see my tits, little doggy? <laughs> God, I hate her as a character. As soon as it flashed up with her face, I was like, ugh, here yeah. she is. <laughs> this never happens when I go into Starbucks. I mean, yeah, true. It's probably a good thing for your fiancé, but maybe not for you. <laughs> <laughs> she, she flashes her eyes, and then we see Herrick in the distance, who has obviously put an official complaint about her standard of service. That was, a, that was supposed to be a euphemism. I mean, that's a terrible one. <laughs> terrible. Even well, for Herrick. Even for Herrick. I'd like to complain about your hot chocolate. <laughs> <laughs> Where do I put this spoon? Uh, I know, stop. <laughs> oh dear, you're expanding on the dialogue now. Lord Toby would absolutely hate that. So he's desecrating the work. Desecrating. Yeah. Uh, so yes. Uh, Herrick gives a little wave to George and go, George goes to run away but Herrick assures him he won't do anything and beckons him to sit down and, and Herrick says how do you think this ends and George says I don't know we kiss <laughs> yeah <laughs> Aww. George is pooping his pants in this scene he's very angry I don't know if he's quote pooping his pants I think he's I think like what he says I'm too tired to be intimidated he's just mm. like he's, he's almost at that level he's, he's virtually he's on the verge of losing nina he's he almost lost mitchell he's kind of flipped hasn't he i think yeah. and i think this is the scene where george flips to even further and herrick is goading him mm-hmm. and you know he says this is nature darwinism george and nothing can stop it not mitchell not you not your friend casper and certainly not you I will chase you all to the edge of the world and pick the meat off your bones myself. I love that. I wrote that quote down. Oh, it's so good. It's so good. He's That's like the peak of Herrick. He's menacing and he says some really nasty stuff, but he says it in a way that's not forced or... It's just like he's just saying it as a general comment, as off the cuff, this is what I'm going to do, and that's why it's so terrifying. Yeah. And like you say, he references, you talk about the dialogue coming back a lot on itself in this episode. He references that later. And also, when he says, you shouldn't have come for him, it got my attention. George brings, George brings that back as well later. Oh, that's like my favourite part of the entire episode later. So good. Oh, I cried again earlier watching it and I've seen it about 400 times. Yeah, and it, and it it comes back to uh, everything relating to each other again because he says it, Herrick is literally poking the bear. He begins, he's he's bullying George like it's in a playground. 
Yeah. And he wants to bring out that and that side of George. And Mitch, Mitchell acknowledges that later in the cellar. He's like, you, he wants you to be like this. And mm-hmm. again, it's so clever how everything is so intrinsically linked. Yeah. All the way through the entire episode, it just links back to different points. And it's so... Cl- I absolutely love this episode. It's so good. With George, he knows words won't do it necessarily because I think he knows George can compete intellectually. Mm-hmm. So this is why he's just going, he's pushing him. Like like they're in the playground going, come on then, what you got? And he knows, he can sense in George's persona at that stage that he's going to get something out of him. Yeah, getting a rise out of him, an emotive one rather than a intellectual one. I mean, we find out more about George's intellect later, don't we? But yeah, he's a very, very smart bloke, but I suppose Herrick's got a lot of life experience. So he knows how to push people's buttons. And it's what he's been doing all series. Yeah. Especially against George. He's always picking on George. Especially this episode. I I was thinking, like, when I was watching this, it's just... They barely see each other all series, Mm. Herrick and George. And in this episode, it's virtually all the scenes that that Herrick's in. uh, Most of them are with George. Yeah. And what scenes they are. And what scenes they are. So George pins him down to the table and Kara springs into action with a knife. But Herrick is under, in, tells her under instructions, don't touch him, you understand? And he giggles. And there's lots of naughty giggles in this bloody episode. There's so many naughty giggles. Yeah, he says it's like top trumps, where werewolf versus vampire, what's going to happen? It's so exciting. And again, that, that leads to something later. Yep. Yeah, you know your problem, George. You're just too human. So, yeah, maybe I do sound a little confident. Oh, I love that. I actually, I I quite like that he said that earlier. And I thought that might give George a boost because that's what he wants. He wants to be human. Hmm. So, actually, that saying that as a negative, I don't know why he thinks that would have an impact, really. Maybe, like you say, it's him trying, well, it's like Mitchell says, he's trying to manipulate him to make him bad. Yeah, he's. I think he knows George is on the edge, and he's just he's just pushing it. Mm. Yeah, he walked. Herrick walks away with a gross blood-soaked kiss with Kara, and she gives a naughty little giggle again. Yeah, I don't know. In a way, it's it's Herrick pretending to hold some kind of moral high ground, which he always kind of does. He's he's making George the aggressor and telling Kara not to touch him and. And he's the one walking away from the fight. Mm-hmm. No, I'm just, I find it, I find that scene, anything with Cara in is difficult to watch. But I just think, like, Herrick is walking away almost as a point of, even though you can touch me, you still can't touch me. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. you're not going to get in here into my head like I can with you. So actually, and him showing that dominance over Cara is like, I've got dominance over everyone and you're no different. Yeah. So with the yeah. kiss, with the weird blurred and all of that just dodginess is... With his thumb. Oh, God, it's just too much, that, isn't it? <laughs> just get it out of my mouth. Bloody hell, Herrick. <laughs> the mood soon changes. Mitchell is on the hospital beds, sobbing with tears onto his hairy chest. And we see Josie asleep on the chair. And as the nurse approaches and checks her pulse, we realise that Josie has died. So Mitchell has done the right thing here. That's a very big assumption. What do you mean? Well, he's done the right thing. 
Has he? Well, he's at, he's at someone still. And we all know that this is a slippery slope in the vampire world. Well, uh, what what were the options? Her dying horribly of cancer. What hey, I... let's list all the cancers. <laughs> Yay! Esophageal! Ten points. Um, <laughs> I wouldn't say Mitchell's done the right thing. I would say Jose has done the right thing. Here. Yeah. No, you're right. You're, you're right, yeah. What, a, what an absolute hero she is. First of all, she gets to bang Mitchell for a few years and live her best <laughs> life. And now she gets eaten by him to die. I mean, what can you say? What a life. <laughs> she's called Mrs. though, isn't she? So she's married. Um, yeah, she, she said her husband died, I think. Uh, okay. So she's, yeah. I mean, it's a win-win for her then. She gets to be with her husband again. She's not dying of this unknown form of cancer anymore and mitchell survived brilliant happy cancer day all round <laughs> it's the best possible outcome <laughs> have you got cancer do you want to be eaten by a hot vampire <laughs> it's not an advert <laughs> just, just, just call mitchell <laughs> yeah i mean he'd probably make a lot of money <laughs> but let's get away from this very quickly <laughs> Mitchell is back at the pink house uh, being nursed by Annie and George but Mitchell wants to know what Herrick said and I think this is another good symmetry because uh, uh, Annie kind of confesses that that's kind of what she told Owen last episode mm-hmm. and then we get we get a glimpse of him later on because I, I was a bit confused that I forgot about that last scene and then when Owen was mentioned I was like why because there's no point in this episode where any of the dialogue isn't needed. It's like everything that's said has yeah. a relevance to the to the plot. Yeah, so when yeah, o- when Owen was mentioned, I was really confused. I was like, why is she talking about Owen? Is that's done now? But then I remembered the ending. <laughs> <laughs> you remembered it when you watched it. When I watched it, yeah. She starts talking about how she's always felt separated she's always even as a ghost felt like herself but now it's kind of like she feels like two people in the worlds are overlapping mm-hmm. but george is very defiant because he's he's very closed off to to the truth he's trying to deny the truth he just says no i'm me 29 days a month and the rest of the, what happens happens i'm not the same person but it's clear that's not true yeah and he he, he knows that really but this is the whole point of the because the episode with Tully is where he was having that massive internal battle again the wolf is separate I'm not going to accept it as part of me and that the episode with Tully almost like reinforced that Mm. but then at this point he's still in denial but I think this is this is him coming to the realization that there's going to be a turn at some point and what I love most is like when Annie says Herrick can't hurt me though can he I'm already dead and just the moment where Mitchell says he can it's the house that t- that keeps you here. It's me and George, so he'll get rid of us. Burn the house to the ground. There'll be nothing left for you. You'll be like smoke. You'll just blow apart in the breeze. Firstly, that references something Herrick says later, and mm-hmm. we kind of see that happening in another series down the line. Yep. In another brilliant episode with a guest actor that we won't mention yet. Yeah, they repeat base. The Herrick basically repeats that entire di- dialogue again later in the episode. Yeah. I mean, also from Mitchell, it's a bit harsh. It is, but I just he 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 knows Herrick, and also as Herrick says, it, Mitchell's got that dark side, hasn't he? So if 
Mitchell knows what it means to be dark or to do something wrong. Mm-hmm. So he can he can kind of go, yeah, I know how this will play out. Yeah, and I just think about Mitch. Mitchell's had so many different lives in his ninety odd years. He he regenerates almost that he's lived so many different lives. He knows what the story is and he knows where things go wrong. Yeah. Yeah, no, I get that. But I do think if you, if one of your friends was in danger, would you tell them like that or maybe break it down a little bit? Yeah. I just think like, yeah, he's going to, yeah, he could hurt you. He'd get rid of the house. He'd kill all your friends. You, you're just going to blow away as if no one even remembers you. Like, all right, calm down. Yeah, I suppose. Suppose um... break it to me gently, (laughs) Jesus. All right, Owen, your your definition of how how that would be broken gently. He can't hurt me though, can he? Well, he could. (laughs) (laughs) That's it. Well, I suppose he could. He could push you over in the street. She's not a physical being. Well. Depends where she is in a in a. I was about to say in a cycle, but I regret saying that. <laughs> <laughs> oh god, it's going to be so many reasons for this podcast to get cancelled after this episode. <laughs> Annie is still blinded by optimism, and she thinks they can defeat Herrick. The other two faces don't look so convinced by this. Nope. So later, Nina approaches George at the hospital. The secret, she says, they're starting to bleed into everything else, and it frightens me. I need something normal. I'm no relationship expert. I would say don't date a werewolf. Yeah, I mean, she's had so many warning signs at this point. And she's like a professional woman. She's obviously got a good career going for her. She gets bleeped in the middle of the conversation, so she's obviously busy. Like, just crack on. Just leave leave him alone. He's obviously not worth it. They've only been out a couple of times at this point as well. Yeah, I think, again, George says it later, we've only known each other a few weeks or a yeah. couple of weeks or something. So, yeah. But she asks if the secrets in the relationship can coexist together. George can't answer and she walks away and the situation, of course, is unresolved. Now, there are a lot of Nina haters. What? Are there? Well, not Nina, not haters, but, you know, she gets a bit of stick sometimes for some of the decisions she's made. Mm-hmm. So I think every time like this he's always trying to be open and honest and and direct even if sometimes that that has a bad consequence for your favorite character or something she's yeah doing she's doing it from a good place yeah yeah i mean i absolutely love nina as a character and i think something that i wrote in my notes was after watching this episode i decided you know your original question before about whether you were a werewolf a vampire or a ghost yeah i i've decided i'm nina okay what what turned it for me was when she shouted at him about she shouted at Mitchell sorry about George and I was like that's literally what I would do tell him he's got to do it to my face no wait <laughs> actually if he comes near me I'm gonna kill him I don't know if you can be a werewolf now because you've already committed to being a vampire unless mm. unless a vampire can get scratched by a werewolf and then be a vampire werewolf. A van wolf. A wolf van. A wolf pyre. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, maybe I'm that. You're a wolf pyre. Yeah, I'll take you're the, that. You're the first of its kind. It's like an umpire, except... Right. <laughs> I, I've got an image now of a tennis match 
a werewolf sitting in the umpire's chair looking left and right at, at the rally. <laughs> yeah, that could happen. They could just be using the, uh, like a vial of blood, batting it back and forth instead. <laughs> and that would be a right contradiction. Whose side would I be on? Would I be on the side of the person who's going to... Who's the vampire? Like, if imagine... So I've got... Sorry, I'm going to ramble now. It's a vampire versus a werewolf. The werewolf blood is flying back and forth, but I'm a mixture of a, wam- a vampire and a werewolf. What's going to happen? Oh, this sounds a bit like Twilighty now. Do they have a mixture of things? Ah. Uh, no. No, they don't. But I'm creating not... my own. This could be a spin-off that, that Lord Toby creates. <laughs> so, <laughs> the Wolfpire. Like Wolfpire. Season one. Is an updated version of, of Teen Wolf. Oh, it's, not, it's, not, it's not a basketball, it's tennis. Yeah. Uh, there you go. Yeah, yeah. Wolfpire. I'm going to pitch it. Wolfpire. Yeah. does sound like something you'd buy at B&Q. <laughs> oh, God. Oh. At least it's not from Ikea, because I hate Ikea. Well, you know my feelings d- on that. We do know your feelings on that. And if anyone actually actively likes Ikea, then <laughs> Jesus Christ. It's... it's <laughs> It's furniture prison. <laughs> Actually, it really—it's like a maze, though, isn't it? Why? What? If you want to go in just for one thing, you have to go through everything. Yeah. Why? Like you just need a spatula. <laughs> yeah, and I bet, or yeah, something like the spatula would be right at the end. Yeah, or you just wouldn't find it at all, and you've walked through six floors of a building and had some meatballs. My advice is, if you want a spatula, yeah, get one off Amazon. B and M. Yeah, B and M or Amazon. Yeah. Okay, so outside Eric's second place of work, the police station. I can't quite work out the his working pattern. He must do a lot of hours. Yeah. Mitchell is waiting, and he's serving up an ultimatum. He wants to meet Eric tomorrow, and it has to be tomorrow. Yeah, I still I'll... don't know why it has to be tomorrow though. Because it's when George changes. Oh, well... He wants George out of it, doesn't he? Yeah, that's true. He does say that later on. Feels like an excuse, though, no? I don't know if Mitchell would actually think George would actively confront Herrick while he's not a werewolf, so... True. Herrick's unsure. He says, I'll hand your ass on a plate. You know I will. And Mitchell says, there are conditions. Here we go. Mm-hmm. You'll let George and Annie go. And he does agree. He says, afterwards, they've got 24 hours to get away. Like, far away, and if they're spotted after that, they're fair game. And I was going to give you South America. <laughs> I was going to give you South America. I don't know why I wrote that down. I think it's just because it was so sarcastic, and it was just like, there had been quite an intense exchange, and then actually the end of it was just, oh, I was going to give you South America. Just typical <laughs> being human, sarcastic. Yeah. Okay, so we cut to the pink house, and Mitchell then tells George and Annie of the plan. Firstly, can Mitchell, does he think he can defeat Herrick? Or does Mitchell know that if he faces Herrick, that's it for him? Yeah, I, do, I, I question Mitchell's intentions here. Because he doesn't look like a man that's about to beat him. No. He looks defeated. Yeah, and he's like really still quite injured. Yeah. I think it's more like... For me, it feels it's more like a sacrifice. Because he he's recognising that things are getting to a point that he just can't manage it anymore 
and then he, but he knows that the others wouldn't accept that yeah almost so he has to come up with this other like martyry reason that he's doing it i think he is genuinely doing it from a good place but okay i so... think i just doubt mitchell all the time to be honest <laughs> yeah yeah i mean that's fair enough he barely tells the truth well exactly Okay, so George visits Saki Mark at his place of worship and they give nods to George's religious George's religious beliefs and they run through those words that Mark spoke the other night. When I was a child, I spake as a child. If I had a hammer... <laughs> <laughs> I would rather push a granny off a bus. <laughs> <laughs> so, Sue, what does that mean to you? What what? Would you if you could push a granny off a bus? <laughs> what it mean it's time to grow up? Uh, maybe, maybe time to not not do that. That would be bad. That would be a bad thing, and you you would have to repent if you pushed a granny for bus. <laughs> you definitely would. Oh dear, I do love that phrase out of the Bible, though. I feel like that's it. One of out of the many many pages that are in it, like that one's a nice one, isn't it? It's easy mm. to understand. Yeah. So Mark asked about the men who were there the other night. What were they? George replies, they were just men. Don't start to doubt what you've got. They were just bad men. And I like this scene because in series one, even though religion is only kind of on the sidelines, I mean, series two, it goes quite mental with the religion, but it, it just shows that side to George that we don't, we've not really seen much of. And there is that belief system there. And obviously he's he's at such odds with it because of what he is. He 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 views what he what he is as something evil. Yeah. He views the werewolf as evil, but he he knows he's a good person as a human. Yeah. Yeah, and I I really like that scene. It's like he's protecting Saki Mark, isn't he, to make sure that he doesn't take anything forward because he's he's had his life destroyed by what's happened to him and the things that have he's learned in the past two years, isn't it? At this point, I think. Yeah. Um. And at the start, when he says to, he has that conversation in the very first scene with Mitchell about, you know, six months ago I was attacked, and now there's vampires. Like, where does this end? I think that that sort of feeds into this conversation with Saki Mark. He doesn't want to give him the knowledge because as soon as you open that door, where does it end? Yeah, it's just a pathways to everything, isn't it? Yeah. And he's protecting him, and I really like that. Yeah. As the literal storm gathers outside, the trio are in the kitchen. As the real storm in the kitchen unleashes, Mitchell is dead set on meeting Herrick. Annie is just livid, and George silence speaks volumes. And I love Annie's when when Annie wants confirmation from George, and George gives a bit of a silent response. I love Annie's talk to me, fella. <laughs> yeah oh yeah she's i can't i feel like that was more her like mumsy side coming out yeah. being that like mothery person to the two of them but at this point george has got his plan hasn't he, he knows what he's doing well that's what gives this scene so many levels because oh. when you first watch this scene you believe george yeah because he's so upset you believe George is doing what he's he's telling Mitchell and Annie. Yeah, and you're so... I remember being really frustrated. Like, why would you let your friend basically walk into his death? Because that's what's going to happen to Mitchell. Hmm. 
so why are you letting him do that and then Anne is absolutely devastated and yet I also remember feeling that it was weird that he was agreeing he would take uh, Annie with him with Nina yeah like what Nina doesn't know about any of this world yeah yeah so how would that plan work it made absolutely no sense I was like why is he agreeing to all of this like yeah, he just nervously fidgets with his hands and says, Mitchell has made his decision, and then I think we should respect that. His face filling up with tears. He says, I have to think about the future. I have to think about my Nina now. I don't have forever. I don't have time like you do. The ten- this scene is just amazing because of the tension just everywhere, just pouring through the screen. Uh, these friends that's at odds in such a terrible situation, and they don't know what the right or the wrong thing to do is. And, like, Annie's just raging at George, and George is fighting back and there's Mitchell just hunched in the middle of them yeah I mean I, th- I, I just think every scene from this point onwards is is so good like this is the build up now up to the end of the season from this point you just know it's going to go down I think the yeah. storm outside is like really dramatic it adds to the to the scene as well um, all of the deep conversations um and then Mitchell makes a really strong speech just after that scene. So this is just before the next scene, but at the end of that one, um, about how when you go, you remember all of the terrible things that you've done when the bloodlust is gone. That's that's what you remember, all of those terrible things that you've done in your life. You remember who screamed, who fought, and all of that sort of stuff. And then that's something that's brought up with vampires in other seasons. Like Hal talks about that. Hmm in season five and how he really struggles to cope without blood because he remembers everything he's done yeah and it's 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 a really powerful statement yeah and it's like george's statement even though he's saying it he he's not carrying through this he's saying i'm sorry annie there's nothing left for you now but this i am the only person in this room that that still has a chance even though i think george believes that He's still going to do what his plan is. Yeah. And what a plan it is, though. He offers to meet Herrick, sorry, with a place to meet Mitchell the next day. Mm-hmm. Are you surprised Mitchell would say yes to that? But then he, I think he knows that George wouldn't... I don't know. He knows George wouldn't go for Herrick in that state, but Herrick isn't trustworthy. Yeah, I think it's more at this point... I don't think it's really to do with Herrick at this point. I think it's more that he appreciates that George is agreeing to the plan and so George's only request is that he gets to tell Herrick so really considering what George is agreeing to yeah. that's not a massive ask is it for him to tell Herrick no I suppose not yeah but I love the way the scene end, ends as well like Annie's on the floor in tears and Mitchell comforts her and just says believe me George is no more of a coward than I am yeah all because of his speech about how it's the what we spoke about before. I think that's that's the this is what makes me think that it's more of an excuse. He's trying to escape from his situation. I don't think it's wholly to protect George and Annie. George is at the funeral parlour. No unwelcoming greeting from Seth this time, but this time there is a nana. <laughs> she just sits there and reads the brochures. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. Hang on, let's let's read that this. You're right, Nana. Yes. <laughs> Perfect. Oscar worthy. That was a good impression, I thought. Had an affair with Hitler, didn't you, Nana? Yes. 
And there's another naughty giggle. This honestly, I did not even mention half the naughty giggles, but she does a little naughty giggle. Although why Hitler? Well, you just wouldn't. Even if you're a vampire and like done the most hideous things in the world, you would not admit to sleeping with Hitler, would you? Yes. <laughs> oh, you would. Oh. If you were a vampire, surely. I mean, the vampires are basically compared to Nazis in the fifth season, so... I know, but I'd like to think vampires aren't fascist. They don't discriminate. They just eat everyone. True, yeah. But if they wanted to take over the world, which they often do... Dodgy territory. Yeah. And also, I recently watched a very interesting documentary that's quite popular on a popular streaming site at the moment. You can't name it. I don't know if to advertise it though. Do you know? What I mean, I feel like you're going to get into trouble for a lot of things here. Um, yeah. I mean, I'd keep people like that alive. Those serial killer types. What? Oh, Dharma. Yeah. It's. I really liked it. It's good. Oh, people are complaining about it, saying it's glorifying, aren't they? Well, yeah, but it's not really. I mean, if you watch it, you. I don't know why you would like him at the end of it. And I'm a real fan of Evan Peters, but even I'm a bit like, oh, I don't know if I can look at it in the same way now. You're a real fan of Andy Peters. Evan Peters. Okay. <laughs> I mean, sure, I like Andy Peters. <laughs> but that is a retro flashback that I just wasn't expecting. <laughs> Which, uh, no, I'm just going to make broom cover jokes. Stop. Right. Uh, George George is disgusted, not by the Hitler thing, but the fact that they recruit old ladies. And Herrick says, well, you know what it is like when you're out and about, you get the munchies, you'll eat anything. <laughs> yep. Yep. Uh, after he gets a sniff from Nana, George gets a one-on-one with Herrick where he hopes to find a compromise and he asks why Mitchell is so important to him. He says, Mitchell is a profoundly dangerous man, more so than he realises. He had the blackest heart of us all and yet he found something else and he repented. Now this is all about symbolism, only to eradicate a thousand years of fear and shame and Mitchell's scepticism, it suggests a kind of alternative and becomes a rallying point. We know... Mitchell is dark when he when he vamps up and all the things that we see him do in the show. But M- Herrick is kind of implying here that Mitchell is dark at heart, even as a human. Yeah, and I think I what I interpreted that whole conversation as is that Herrick is threatened by Mitchell because he is darker than any of them. And mm. if he wanted to rule, he could... And I think yeah. he, he takes it as, I need to wipe him out because that's the only way I can prove that I am the symbol that should rule the vampires. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. It, it, it's almost like there is a fear of Mitchell and that's why he wants to eradicate him. Yeah. Yeah, he says, I, I won't let mercy or nostalgia deter me. And there's even a rare moment of the sincerity from Herrick when he says, now it's brave of you coming here, and I respect that, but things have been set in motion and there is nothing we can do now. It's just the way Jason Watkins delivers lines. Yeah. <laughs> everything he says just hits, hits the, the screen perfectly, doesn't it? Yeah, I, I just, uh, yeah, like you say, every line, you're just like, okay, Herrick. I mean, I just wouldn't... I. I think it is brave of George to go and challenge him because I wouldn't. Yeah, sod off. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'd just be like, all right, Mitchell, you crack on. Yeah, I just like the fact that in this episode we get a 
couple of big but very different interactions between George and Herrick. It just helps the payoff even more perfect, I think. But I feel like in that scene, it's almost like there's this mutual respect. Like, I respect you that this is our friend. He's both of our friend almost. And yes, I understand why you want to protect him. But you need to know that that's it's not going to happen. We're going to have this is happening now. And that's what we nothing can change that. Yeah, absolutely. So there's like Uh, that mutual respect there. But that's immediately shot in the dark, isn't it? As soon as the next scenes hit. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. yeah exactly <laughs> Hugh the beautiful strings swelling up played by Richard Wells Ugh. Uh, yeah again it's, it's, it's there's so many moments in this episode where you just go oh yeah that is, that is one of them uh yeah George is leaving the house to transform Herrick is getting ready for his battle with Mitchell plans on setting people on George in in the woods in the morning of Annie he says we can burn down the house and watch as she floats in, into the air we'll smear blood on our faces and dance round the fire like cavemen you know make a night of it make a night of it I love that you, you bastard Eric. <laughs> before George leaves he says to Annie to meet him at the station she says maybe maybe I'll stay here and fight and she refuses a hug George reminisces of how he met Mitchell I said, and then what? You thought but there'd be nothing, Mitchell says, and there was this. The house, you and me, there was Annie. It wasn't human, though, was it? And Mitchell says, it was never going to be that. Oh, see, and that's another line that's been reused. Exactly. And then what? There was this. I love that, though. It's really sweet, because it shows that Mitchell remembers their first meeting and interaction. And we see Nina finding a note in her locker. Herrick gearing up for the knight's head by giving Clara another disgusting kiss. Oh, God. Don't remind me. I've seen it twice today already. <laughs> Annie alone in the house is now hearing those voices again. Uh, he su- she's suddenly visited by a ghost. They kept coming, he says, the vampires. Uh, but it's a quite a moody scene. But I like this r- random guy in the, in the house suddenly saying, I don't want to be dead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, I... Noticed um, Annie's eyes went a bit blue in that bit. Yeah. Love that. I love it when her eyes go blue because she just knows shit's about to go down. And shit did go down. Annie unleashes venom at the funeral parlour, kicking more undead arse. Uh, The first time properly we see her power, I'd say. She crashes in, throwing people around by raising just a hand. And she was doing this before Eleven and Stranger Things made it cool. (laughs) Yes, she was. (laughs) Um, I understand why this scene here, I would say this scene is the only moment in this episode where I go, hmm, I'm not too sure about this. Yeah. I understand why they're doing it, partly to clean up the story of the people stored in the funeral parlour and they get a name thing so they get free. Partly to show that Annie's finding some power. Yeah. But, and I know they tried to explain it a bit at the end, but it just seems a bit convenient and it's not something that's really used again that Annie hears the voices. No. So yeah, and it and I mean it's very it's very much like Annie has gone suddenly from being no power at all to a complete absolute badass that can wipe out that entire funeral parlor on her own yeah. when like two episodes before her and George were trying to hit people with a chair. <laughs> <laughs> like it's a bit of a leap. I mean, it's a brilliant leap and I love yeah, of course. Like Annie's power, you, like you say, they needed to show that Annie now has power. George is going to show that he's got power, 
and Mitchell, or we already know Mitchell's got power, it makes them like an unstoppable trio. You kind of need that for yeah. the end of this season. Yeah. To make it interesting for season two. So yeah, I can see why they did it, but yeah, it doesn't really fit in with the rest of the context of the episode. And I find like the moment where she frees the people and like she calms down and her eyes sizzle down a bit and she offers out a hand and her, and her hair's blowing. Yeah, I know. <laughs> like, I did I, think about the wind machines. Yeah, it's it's quite strange. I probably uh, probably because it just doesn't fit in with the rest of what's going on. Maybe I do feel like as as a avid fan and like a real like cheerleader for the show, I watched it and thought this is a bit of a rubbish scene. But you know, you're trying to like justify it in your head why it's there, and like then I was th- <laughs> I remember thinking. Her hair is really blowing around. That's a lot of wind machine action going on there. And I thought maybe it's because she's like whooshing people off and then it's the air backflow. This is the level of defence I have for being human. (laughs) Genuinely, that's what I was doing earlier. I was like, maybe it's because she's like zoomed someone off to the other side of the room and it's just caused a bit of, you know... Her hair's just blown back a bit. Yeah. All right, well, well I'm going to go with it now. Yeah, that's what happened. That is a, an amazing level in, of analysis. Yeah, I was proper invested at this point. But also, what I thought the first time I... The, well, I've never thought of this before, but until I was watching it again last night for this, is Herrick and all the vampires are out the front getting ready and, like, chanting and celebrating. So, obviously, Annie's gone in there while the vamps it kind of it looks like while the vamps are still around yeah because that's where he gets ready isn't it and then he leaves yeah is that what, but, oh yeah is that, do they overlap those two scenes maybe maybe annie was there after, slightly after but let you yeah. know it's being human you'll come up with an excuse why why it's slightly after exactly we're just defending it without even realizing (laughs) this is how much we love it we're just like no obviously because annie was there after duh i think also like another reason for annie to get into the funeral parlor is for that meeting with cara yeah because obviously cara unknowingly has got to give the game away yes that's yeah that's another yeah you're right so that's another reason that the scene happens because it doesn't slot in as nicely as everything else. So, the, yeah, there's many reasons why that's in there. Maybe there was, like, when they wrote the episode, maybe there was more of a wraparound for that scene. Mm. Yeah. But they, because, you know, they have to cut a lot out, don't they, when they go to produ- post-production and editing and stuff. So if they've had to cut out other scenes, maybe that's why that one doesn't slot in so well. Yeah, and also, it doesn't... It may not be a really strong scene but it literally lasts seconds so it's not it's not like it's a five ten minute block of in the in the episode that you think oh my god what is this about is it It, (laughs) even even the slightly dud moment is right bash bish bash boss done yeah i can just see in my head annie holding out her hand with her hair flowing (laughs) it's so funny oh dear but then annie makes amends just a couple of minutes later when she says to Cara, well, congratulations on marshalling the whole speaking like a twat thing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so Cara mentions the dungeon and obviously she knows that Mitchell, the plan is to meet Herrick on the roof. Cara gives away that 
Herrick's going to the dungeon in the hospital. I don't think I would have got that if I was Annie. Uh, I thought it was a bit vague. Um, yeah. No, I think Mitchell did state that he was meeting on the roof in front of in front of Annie. Yeah, so and, uh, I knew they'd talked about that, but when when Kara says it, it's more like, um, we're gonna put him in that, we're gonna keep him in that dungeon, and he's gonna be there forever on show. Yeah, I would have just thought that that was her just talking like a twat. <laughs> I wouldn't have thought anything of it, but Anne yeah. is like, what? Yeah. Very switched on at that point. Maybe it's the blue eyes. Maybe it's the flowy hair. Yeah, the flowy. It's that backflow. It's the backflow. <laughs> the power of the backflow. <laughs> so Mitchell is on the roof waiting and obviously Herrick is on the way to the hospital. But the person that strides to Mitchell is Annie and not Herrick, much to his confusion. George has achieved the great switcheroo. Uh, we see Herrick walk into the cellar and the door close behind him. I mean, Herrick knows probably that it's full moon day. George has gone to say where to meet and he's going to a place that he probably knows George has transformed because they've got tabs on what they are up to. Yeah. Does but part of me thinks before I watch this again I thought does Herrick kind of just know he's meeting George and just accepts it? Or does he just not factor in that and he just genuinely thought he's meeting Mitchell and I think he genuinely thought he was meeting Mitchell on the rewatch last night yeah because what in that previous scene when they're asking like what are you going to do about the wolf and the ghost he says well the wolf normally transforms in the woods yeah, so we're going to get someone to go there so I think I don't think they know about the basement no, in the true. hospital yeah um yeah and then he, yeah when he walks in he's why would you go in though does George shut the, shut the door behind him? Yeah. So he's like hidden behind the door? Yeah. I mean, Herrick should have a better sense than that, surely. <laughs> Could he not smell him? <laughs> True. Uh, George says, we wanted the quiet life. You shouldn't have got, gone for Mitchell. It got my attention. Oh, that is the quote of... I feel like that's my favourite quote of being human ever. So good, isn't it? so good no, you should have had that tattooed on your arm <laughs> i was just gonna say that but if i if i had a tattoo that said it got my attention <laughs> i mean like, people would be like it did get my attention <laughs> but what does it mean and you have to yeah. think, well in 2009 <laughs> there was a tv series and anyway he traps a, a werewolf traps a vampire anyway it got my attention and people just go right i'm out what just watch being human okay <laughs> yeah. Maybe I could have it got my attention quotes with like hashtag being human underneath <laughs> or a barcode, QR code to this podcast. QR code. <laughs> yes, this podcast needs a QR code. Yeah. Okay, so Annie and Mitchell are storming to the cellar but stopped by a furious Nina. She's been dumped by a letter and she rants and raves. She just tells her, shut up. <laughs> that was a, what accent was that? Shut up. You sound Northern. You're meant to be Irish. Shut up! No, you said Manchester as well. That's what you said, but I'm. If you wanted right. to do Irish, would be like, shut up, Nina. Yeah, but okay. what are you? T- what are you talking about? <laughs> do it aggressively. Um, I can't. I'm not an aggressive person, actually. 
<laughs> I think you're fine. Just a passive-aggressive person. <laughs> exactly. He says, stay here where it's safe. So yeah, back in the cellar, Herrick recoils and George is showing off for his Star of David and Herrick confirms it. Mitchell is okay around it because of the affection they hold for each other. Yeah. But it's really strange to see Herrick wincing because he's been just powerful all series. Yeah, and I think also the thing is, later on in later seasons, just George's necklace wouldn't have an effect like that on a powerful vampire who's going to be able to take over the entire world. Like, I know Herrick's not old old one level. No. But at this point, he thinks that he's going to take over the entire world. So why would one necklace hmm. have that effect on him? I suppose. But then he's probably not age-wise or vampire-wise that much more on from people like Seth. And Seth winced, didn't he? Yeah, but he's more, way more superior than oh, Seth. Yeah, I know, but I mean in terms of... Age. Age, yeah, in terms of... I mean, yeah. In terms of mm. in terms of status and notoriety, maybe. Yeah. Uh, Herrick says, I can't be killed. You can't hurt me. Russell Tovey in this scene, and, and Jason Watkins, just amazing. We're not talking about bullets or knives here, are we? I am the weapon. I am the weapon. That's another one. That's another quote I could have tattooed. <laughs> it got my attention. I am the weapon. Oh my God. If I actually had that, I think I'd get sacked. <laughs> <laughs> Just put it on your little toe. In really small writing. Oh God. That's, that, I mean, it sounds painful, but I could. It sounds actually quite cute. I might. Um, maybe... uh, if I do, I'll send you a picture. Please do. <laughs> <laughs> I'd have to zoom in on it. Yeah. I've got a really good phone now with a decent camera. You'd be able to see it, don't worry. Amazing. Cool story, bro. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Mitchell and Annie are banging on the door and she rent a ghost inside to unlock the door from inside. George starts to change and the trio stand in unity in front of their enemy. Uh, it's just... This is what it's been building up to, hasn't it? Yeah. And then Herrick's speech... So a va- it's so good. Yeah, so a werewolf, a ghost and a vampire decide to live like humans do. They get jobs, a house, a TV licence. They make friends they will lie to, make, take lovers they will infect. In fact, the only part of humanity they successfully adopt is the ability to deceive and destroy. All in all, I'll say your little scheme has been something of a failure. I mean, I completely disagree with Herrick at this point, but I absolutely love that speech. <laughs> it's just so funny when he says they get jobs, a house and a TV license. <laughs> it's very British. They would never have got away with that in the American version. So George's body starts crackling and he shrieks and I love Herrick's, hello, it looks like your little suicide bomber is about to go off. <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> <laughs> and, and yeah, like I said earlier, Mitchell points echoes the point that he... Herrick wants George to go bad uh, and this is this is essentially that scene in the canteen but on a much larger scale yeah yeah and George is doing this he says because he owes Mitchell and as they leave and he says thank you did you notice though that they didn't lock the door yeah, well, this time around I was really conscious of the fact that they because to get in Annie had had to rent a ghost into the room unlock the door to let Mitchell in ah yeah, but pro- right, I'd say in the moment, because it was a high adrenaline situation, Annie probably didn't think to stand outside, Mitchell go out, close the door, <laughs> Annie lock the door from inside, and then tra- te- teleport out. 
They probably didn't I mean, think that. I understand that in the moment it would be difficult, but if the moment included a vampire and a werewolf having a to the death fight, I feel like I'd remember. Details, details. Herrick <laughs> <laughs> uh, goes on a speech about his place in the machinery of it all, and George is writhing on his knees, his teeth showing, his eyes red. When Herrick stands over him, George's face is all like it's almost gone non-human because he's he's looking around and he's starting to not recognize herrick in front of him mm-hmm. he says i am the beginning there will be more after me like kind of what you were referencing earlier herrick's place in the grand scheme of things he's not an old one no and herrick knows that in a year a decade from now this land is ours and we have all the time in the world oh man so good <laughs> so good so good it comes down Still furious and understandably wanting answers, but she hears howls of pain and she looks through the spy hole. And Herrick says, there's no difference now between you and me, your, your ridiculous, naive morality, your last stand of humanity. You lose it tonight. Nina storms in because Annie didn't bloody lock the door. Exactly. Ridiculous. <laughs> and George pushes, or rather claws her away. George says, haven't you worked it out yet? Humanity is about love and sacrifice. This doesn't rob me of my humanity altogether now. It proves it. (laughs) All right. What was that? Start again. It proves it. I was just trying to say it together. It didn't work. No, that's... that's... I tried. It (laughs) (laughs) proves... Fuck's sake. (laughs) And one more time. I I, I, I can't do it. I I don't want to do it again. Uh, they grabbed the, they grabbed Nina out of there and shut the door. Did they lock it this time? No. Bastards. I know. I mean, you'd think they'd have learned. Nina's just pushed her way in, and then they've managed to get her back out, and they still don't lock the door. What can I say? Um. I mean, so that's that's a plot hole if I've ever heard oh, one. I think, well, no, you're just a mistake, isn't it? <laughs> I would say it's a plot hole. I think Toby needs to revisit his life if he <laughs> can't even get them to lock a door. Do well, you know what I mean? Where, toxic werewolf blood, that's a plot hole. Not, not locking a door, it's just an accident. <laughs> Nina would disagree. <laughs> yeah. They grab Nina out and shut the door and George goes full wolf. His balls, cr- his balls cracking. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking hell. <laughs> well, Are you tired? Are you well, okay? Well, to be fair, they probably did. <laughs> God, I wasn't expecting that. Oh, God, what did you actually mean to say? His bones cracking. Uh, do you know what it is? My, His balls might crack. My dog barked downstairs and I just got distracted. Oh dear. Maybe his balls cracked. <laughs> he doesn't have any. Oh. So at one stage they did. True. <laughs> yeah. Oh dear, and I love what I love about this also is you. This is the first time you properly see some fear in Herrick's eyes. Yeah, he knows what's going to happen now. He knows he's for it. He knows he's he's dog meat. Uh, do it, come on then, you fucking freak. Do it, and George enjoys a good old munch. Well, he's got the munch. You should just eat what you can, don't you? Exactly. And if it's just a vampire in a cellar, go for it. Yep. 
where George then charges to the door in anger before making eye contact with Nina and soon calming down. We covered the pilot together. It's it's a revisiting of that scene in the end of the pilot, but it's just a perfection. Apart from the locking of the door, <laughs> it's, it is done to perfection, and they've they've nailed every aspect of the scene, including that like connection between George and Nina at the end. Yeah. And that was like proving George's point because he was saying in his speech at the end that um, it's not humanity isn't whatever his speech was. I can't remember what it was now. Hang on. Humanity is about love and sacrifice. Doesn't mean it doesn't rob him of his humanity. It proves it. So what he's showing there Hang is on. that he's got. It go proves on. it. It proves it. So because he's proved it by seeing Nina through the door and it's showing that he's got some sort of love and affection for her and he's able, therefore, to control the wolf, which previously he's never been able to do. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just... What an end to the series, though. Just that. Yeah. I mean, I, I completely forgot. Like I said earlier, I forgot that there was any more to the episode. I thought that was the end. Well, no. So the next day, George and Nina are having a post-mortem in the bedroom, not of Herrick's body, but of what's left of their relationship. Downstairs, Annie and Mitchell are having their own deep talk. Annie wonders why she could hear those voices, and Mitchell says, You turned down death. No one's ever done that. It's like you opened something in you. That's all. I think that's fine, and I, I think you could use that as an explanation. It's just the fact that Annie's never used that again. Yeah. And also turning down the door. She literally had a lesson. Yeah. On how not to t- on how to turn down the door. Uh, in series two. Yeah. yeah, but then they think no one's ever done it before. But Mitchell would surely know. Uh, yeah, I suppose. But mm. then, yeah. Details. <laughs> <laughs> really out of nowhere and really loud in my ear details <laughs> I was like bloody hell alright uh, details anyway uh, Nina is running a bath and lifts up her sleeve to reveal dun 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 it's them werewolf scratches it's them werewolf scars and then Mitchell notices that George uses I and me when he talks about the werewolf he says is it over are we safe now and I'd just like to point out George no you're in a TV drama you will never be safe you will never be happy yeah, and definitely not after just season one. No. No. And and you just turned your girlfriend into a werewolf, you div. Yeah. I mean, that was a bad move, really, if you want to move forward. So Mitchell says, maybe this is safety. And then there's the ominous fade out. It's, yeah. They kind of think that they could be all right now. It's George's little face. Cause he genuinely looks like, ah, yeah. we're like happy and safe now and Mitch was like "Mm, not so sure and Annie just does not look convinced at all cue a new voice we hear amongst the darkness we find ourselves in a secure unit and the voice is asking did she actually say the word vampire and then we cut to Owen and I'm so pleased I'm so pleased we get to see Owen one last time he's an absolute dick but Greg Chillin's performance of Owen all throughout has just been amazing and the fact that he's he's got a new level here of the weird nervy twitchy nervous mouthing tapping his leg looking around like a deranged man it's it's just yeah i think it's the perfect payoff rowing yeah he plays it really well 
Where is he? Because I was a bit confused. Is he in the facility? They call, just call it a secure unit. I don't think he's in the facility, no. I don't think so. Because the, the facility, so they had their own uniform and stuff, so that's what I was looking mm. at. The guy that takes him out of the room isn't... He's got, like, a prison guard uniform yeah. on, but I think they're trying to make out that he's in sort of in a mental health yeah. hospital. Um, but... Because Kemp leaves. Yeah. After as well. So if he was in the facility, he wouldn't leave, would he? But I just, I was a bit, the only reason I was confused is because he's promising him that he's safe and that nobody can get in there and all of that. And I was like, why would he know all of that if it wasn't the facility? Or is he just trying to reassure him and I'm overthinking it? I think you're overthinking it. (laughs) (laughs) Like like with the blowy hair situation. Remember, Remember that? You know? Yeah. Yeah, I love that. I'm going to stick with that, though. Um, so, yeah, the character that in Series 2 we will know as Kemp walks out of the building and dials into his very 2009 phone. I don't think he puts that phone to his ear. Sorry. I, 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 he didn't hold it right, and I wasn't happy about should, it. Should we tell him to go and retake the scene? I mean, if he'd have answered the phone like that, he wouldn't have been able to speak to Lucy Jaggart on the no, phone. I think you find it's Professor Jaggart. <laughs> <laughs> All together now, Professor Jaggart. I, I, we've already established that I can't do the All Together Now thing. I panic and go into child mode. All together now. <laughs> <laughs> so, he says, Professor Jaggart, we found them. I wonder who they found. <laughs> well, what? That was no. He, uh, what do you mean? Of course he means ah, the trio. Right. Okay, cool. Shall we watch series two at some stage then? Yeah, let's and do that. That is pretty much the end to a near perfect se- episode and a near perfect series. Nice, almost perfect. <laughs> if only I could do those joint statements, we'd be there. And, well, I was talking about the TV show being human, not this podcast. <laughs> oh. <laughs> This, po- this podcast, this little load of nonsense. I thought it was pretty good. <laughs> Thank you very much to Sue for coming back on the show. She'll be back, I'm sure. She's kind of like the Terminator, but in farmer form. Love you, Sue. It was going through the editing of this episode that I had to go back and rack my brains about this whole Josie death thing, because... I've always felt that there was no underhand play from Mitchell for years and years. And when I was going on and when I was talking to Sue about it, I kind of went along with that because that does seem to be the general fan opinion. But to me, there's no sign that Mitchell's done anything wrong here. I think Josie's death was natural. She died in the chair. She died in hospital. There was no sign of blood, no sign of guilt from Mitchell. And if she was recruited, I don't. I know that's not always how it plays, but she was recruited. There was no sense of her future like we had with Bernie. Uh, Mitchell in the next scene is on his, his bed in the house, but he's still quite weak, so he's not re- he's not full strength like the hint that that blood that he needed would give him. So I've always felt that Josie's death was natural, and I think I might be wrong in this, but. Am I wrong? Am I absolutely mad on this? If I am, 
contact me at box tunnel pod on twitter if you want to become an honorary old one message me at boxtunnelpod at gmail.com you can like and subscribe on your podcast platform choice and also you can find us at box tunnels Vibes group on instagram facebook and tumblr on the next full moon we will cover series two episode one but before that we will have a special on being human unearthed so we'll sign out as we sign in with dog scratched ear by henry's funeral shoe until next time let's kick undead ass was the Box Tunnel Podcast, and thanks.